We are Amido, and you are listening to the Insights Podcast. Welcome to Amido Insights, the new podcast channel on all things Amido. This year, we're going to be doing podcasts on a whole range of subjects. We look forward to your comments and your feedback. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts you'd like to hear, please get in touch. Welcome, I'm Georgia from Amido. We're here today at the University of Sheffield AMRC site overlooking the shop floor at the Factory of the Future. We're here to discuss the use of data in manufacturing and I'm joined uh, by my colleague Steve and also John, a technical fellow in the machining group. Steve, do you want to give a bit of an overview about who Amido are and what we do? Sure. Amido is an independent vendor agnostic software engineering consultancy. That's in a nutshell. We're a cloud native bunch of software engineers who like doing clever things in the cloud and looking for difficult problems that we can get involved in. And that's how we came to to meet the AMRC. And John, can you share who AMRC and what they do? So the AMRC is a network of world-leading research and innovation centres. We work with manufacturing companies of any size from the UK and around the globe. So what kind of prompted you to bring Amido in? Um, Kind of what were the business problems that AMRC were looking at and kind of the industry has been looking at that has kind of led to this Data Lake project? So uh, the AMRC is the Advanced Manufacturing Research Centre and we sit somewhere between the academic research that takes place at the University of Sheffield and other universities and industry. And there's typically there's like a, a valley of death between university and industry where a good idea comes out of university and never gets taken to industry. So the AMRC sits in that field and we try to make sure that those good ideas do get from research through to an output in industry. Specifically, um, within uh, my team here, the process monitoring and control team, we're very interested in capturing data from machining processes. So we're part of the machining group that looks at solutions for optimizing, improving, speeding up, making cheaper machining of typically metals, maybe some other um, composite materials, but typically metals. And within the process monitoring control team, we are interested in capturing data about those processes and using that data to help the designers of those processes, the manufacturing engineers, to improve their processes. Now, typically, we would um, maybe have a laptop sat next to a machine tool capturing that data, perhaps with some sort of data acquisition device. We might do some analysis on that laptop. And we might share the data through our internal file system over our network. Um, but it's quite a closed process. That just means that one researcher has access to the data. And then if the manufacturing engineers want access to that data as well, they have to go and talk to the researcher. We hand over data on a USB stick or something like that. It's quite I'm not sure what the right word is, but it's quite old school. It's perhaps not the the modern way of doing things. So we were looking for opportunities to explore what the cloud has to offer. Uh, We think that manufacturing data is a great opportunity for cloud technologies. On a shop floor, there is a lot of data flying about. It's not all captured. That's kind of our job to capture that data. But once we've captured it, what the data tells us about manufacturing process, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions there. And I think the cloud has a lot to, to bring to that realm. We're very keen at Amido to to get involved in manufacturing. Digital industry, as it stands, is um, a big growth area. It's very important to the future of the country. 
I think the government's put a lot of backing into it. And it's interesting, it's right in, if you don't mind me saying, our sweet spot. It's high volumes of data being transferred into the cloud and needed to be handled and processed in a secure manner. And that's that's what we've been doing for the last 10 years. So it seemed like a, a great combination to us. And John, what were the objectives of the project going in? So obviously you say you collect a lot of data sets. Um, it's kind of not really knowing what to do with that next. So what, what, what were you kind of hoping to achieve? Our objective as mm -hmm. uh, as the team and as the AMIC, um, I don't think we had a clear objective. To be honest, our objective was really to explore the opportunities that cloud technologies offer. And we very much relied on Steve and the team that he put together to, to guide us in that way, really. And we, we explained what we had. We explained how we did things. We explained the sort of analyses that we like to do. And then we relied on Steve and the team to almost guide us through what, what could be done and to propose uh, methods of, of transferring that data to, to the cloud and the analysis options on the cloud and even some basic visualizations as well of the data. So we, our objective was really, let's go and explore, let's see what we can do. And we relied on Amido to, to guide us through it. As John mentioned, there's an awful lot of data that can be generated as part of the manufacturing process. And as a, a research center, it's important to to maintain, to capture that data and use it to, to inform the research process. So storage in cloud is cheap. That's one of the most well-known uses and the benefits of having cloud systems. There's not an awful lot of cost to storing gigabytes of data as long as you're not intending to access it too often. So moving the data and putting it into cloud storage so that it can be structured for analysis and also structured for machine learning as it goes forward was always our plan. Um, from the security perspective as well, while this is telemetry, it's, it's anonymous data that's without any of the design information that fed the behavior, it, it can't be used in isolation, but it should still be handled securely because it's not for public consumption. So. We suggested using um, the IoT Hub, which is a feature of Microsoft Azure, which has secure connections, certificate-based or what's called SaaS token-based security to ensure that the client device and the hub know each other so you can't have that data intercepted in transit. And then the data is stored securely, encrypted at rest when it's passed into the cloud. So we knew security was a very important thing because in any project that we do in the cloud, security's got to be at the forefront. And this isn't a GDPR thing, there's no personal information in there, but it's still important that that data is protected. That, that's a really good point, just to pick up on that. We had a project running here at the AMRC, over, in fact, it overlapped with the period that you guys were working here, which was a looking at servitization of machine tools. So that's rather than a company buying a machine tool, they're buying a machine tool service. In that, project, one of the other universities we're working with did some research into companies that were willing or asking companies if they were willing to share their data for a servitized machine tool. Most companies, including some uh, tier one manufacturers in the UK, were a blanket no, we're not having any of our manufacturing data go off site. So part of this work, I think, is also a demonstration that we can anonymize the data, we can get that data off site securely and here are the benefits it opens up. So we 
aside from the, the transfer of the data from the shop floor into the cloud, what we've done is look at two approaches. Um, we have a stream of data that's being parqueted, that's basically converted into a columnar storage format, which allows efficient querying against the, the primary key, which typically be date, so that we can um, search across huge volumes of data at high speed with relatively little loss of performance. One of the problems of an historic database or a traditional database, should we say, is when you add more and more data, you impact the ability for the, the query to return the, question, the answers to the questions you put into it. By restructuring it into a parquet format, you, you limit that reduction in performance. So I think one of the, um, one of the engineers working here at the, the machining group, we took some of the queries that he was running on the local database that were taking 10 or 12 minutes, and we could see the equivalent results in, um, in Azure using Databricks within, I think it was 12 to 14 seconds. So we got fast querying from there. I finally get parquet. Yeah. I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's the the storage for for querying. The other side of it is we um, took a separate stream off the same raw data, and we're sampling this this information. I think it was coming across ten times a second, which is ten hertz if you're an engineer, or ten requests a second if you're a developer. Uh, <laughs> that was coming across ten times a second, and we. We had a separate stream going into something called table storage, which is a really low level, uh, simple data structure within Azure. And that's primed for machine learning. So what we would hope to do is do queries so that a job over a period of time, over a long um, stretch of time, the behavior of machine tools can be analyzed using the Databricks analysis over the parquet. But we also want to be able to look at the raw data that's been sent into the table storage structure so that that can start to be analyzed for machine learning. So that could be things like anomaly detection. If there is a, a metric, a reading in the event data that's sent through that seems to stand out and looks different to, to how you would expect that data to look for the period of time within the job that it's doing, for example, then that would trigger as an anomaly. And that's normally the sort of thing you use machine learning algorithms for, where they spot exceptions in just huge amounts of data. So I don't know if we've got there yet, but it was always our intention to, to have the ability to, to run machine learning against this data to understand the behavior that is not obviously seen and to see if there's any anomalies or, or anything that can be picked up that may help to predict maintenance or to ultimately get to a point where a decision can be made automatically using machine learning to alter the behavior of the machine, change the job, do an operator override, and maybe turn the speed down or, in the worst case, turn the machine off to prevent um, failure to a uh, part or even the, the part that's been milled at that time. I guess in layman's terms, why is that important? Why do you need to be able to do all of this? For, for the AMRC, a lot of these things aren't as important as a production environment. At the AMRC, we, we undertake research. So we might make one or two parts that are the same. But in a production environment where you are making tens of parts, hundreds of parts day in, day out, 
The simple theory, the way that I like to look at it, is that if you've made one part that is correct, you then make a second part and all the data is identical or near enough identical, there's no reason why that second part shouldn't be the same as the first and of acceptable quality. Alongside that, there's no point making a part if your machine tool is in a bad condition. So this data not only tells us about the process within the machine and the part that's been produced, it can also tell us about the health of our machine tools. So that before you even start to make a part, if your machine tool is correct, you could be fairly confident that your part is going to come out correct. At the moment, I think a lot of this is tacit knowledge amongst the operators and the, the machine tool operators that you have in industry and here at the AMRC, which is, I think that's fine a lot of the time, but if you want to be able to do some automated, um, or if you want to do some automation of your production process, then you need to have this computing element in there, this machine learning element in there that can learn what your production process looks like and tell you when there's something that's changed in there. How easy is it to implement something like this? Um, because obviously there's a lot of data sets on the shop floor. Um, so how, how do you kind of identify where all these data sets are coming to and kind of and pull it together? From a factory floor perspective, um, we have, I guess, that decision is really based on what data is available. What can we get access to? Not all machine tools are open in terms of the data that you can get from them. Not all machine tools have sensors installed on them. And that's part of what our team does is we look at what data can we get from a machine tool, what sensors can we put on there, and then what can we do with the data. So once we've, we've worked that out, then we can inform the next processes what data is available. So for the machine tools that we used in the work here, we knew we could get data from them. So that would be things like the machine tool status, the current program that's running on the machine, the positions of the axes on the machine, the drive information, so the, the amount of power that's being consumed. And things like overrides. So the overrides are where a machine tool operator might change the speed as the program is running. And that sounds like it might not matter too much, but actually if you can inform your manufacturing engineers that changes have been made to the process, they can update the process for future operations, which then allows automation. So is that the aim to kind of work on the AMRC stuff and then you would roll that out to your partners? Generally, that's the idea. If we can prove something out here, then our... AMRC members and other companies will become interested in it and they'll see that, well, we've done it and we've shown them that it's not scary. There's nothing to fear with cloud technology, hopefully. We don't know that yet, actually. Um, and then they might be more willing to take it on in their environment and actually run a trial to experiment with what it can offer. A lot of work today in machine tool and sensors analytics has been very isolated. I think it's been very local to the person doing that research. And I think with the, the cloud technologies that we've explored here, we, we're trying to demonstrate that it doesn't need to be that. It can be in a more shared workspace, not shared with the whole world, obviously, because there is some potentially commercially sensitive data going into these workspaces. But it's something that opens up opportunities, opens up new technologies and techniques that people might not have explored working in isolation on their own workstations. Now you've got an environment where you can bring in different tools that you might not have worked with before. And certainly I think that's happened with the work we've done with Amido is we've been exposed to technologies that we wouldn't have used previously. And it opens up that opportunity for companies that have factories around the world to start looking at what's happening across their worldwide plant in not necessarily a centralized location, but certainly looking at what's happening across worldwide plant and identifying, you know, why is the plant on the other side of the Atlantic, much better at this than we are over here in the UK. 
Why are there differences? When we start to drill down into all this data we're capturing from the machine tools, we can start to see those slight differences in the way that things are done. Why are operators over here tweaking feed rates? Why aren't the manufacturing engineers programming it in such a way compared to other plants around the world? Now, for the AMRC, I don't think that's really something that we can explore because we are very much a research center. We don't make products. We make the odd research um, part here and there. But I think if we can demonstrate the benefits of these technologies, that's when we can bring other people on board to start experimenting in their own, uh, their own factories. Cloud platforms are just another few elements in the toolkit for, for an organization like the AMRC that conducts research because you can experiment with software that was only a few years ago completely out of reach. You can, you can hire a GPU, which is a super fast processing engine for an hour to do some really complicated processing. You can hire quantum computers now to do even more complicated processing in rapid time. And you can you can do all this on the a pay-as-you-go basis. So you use it, you see if it works for you, if it gives you any benefits, and then stop and don't pay anymore. So it's just a great time to, to try and use um, all the power that's available in these systems that you can hire for the amount of time you need to use it for to, to help move your, your research and your understanding of a problem onwards. And more and more, the world is becoming data-driven because we're generating more and more data and there's more and more sophisticated ways to analyze that data and, and change the behavior you see. Um, where the bar to entry for things like doing machine learning have never been lower. 10 years ago, there was data scientists only who had the, the skills to do this sort of analysis, but the tools that you can get from the cloud platforms such as Azure and Google Cloud put a lot of power into the hands of inexpert users now. So you can really experiment and that's the nature of research. You have a, have a go, try something and, and see if it makes a difference. The pay-as-you-go aspect of it is actually quite important, I think. We do a lot of work at the AMRC with SMEs and SMEs might not necessarily have the funds to invest in IT infrastructure that they need to allow them to do this kind of data exploration. Some of the sensors we're talking about here are generating data at you know 10 kilohertz, some of them 400 kilohertz. That's a lot of data to be storing. If you can't afford to buy that architecture up front, then I think the cloud is another way to go at it because you pay for it as you need it. You're not making a long-term investment necessarily. You're just trying it out to see how it goes. If it works for you, then maybe you look at some on-premise equipment to do the same sort of work. And I think that's quite an attractive thing for, for SMEs, particularly now in the age of Industry 4, which has a name, even though that sort of work has been going on for many years. There are a lot of SMEs that are interested in Industry 4, but at the moment, they aren't convinced that it's for them because they haven't seen any sort of benefits of it. So if they wanted to try something out like data capture and data analytics and so on and so forth, they don't have to invest big money in local architectures and local infrastructure. They can go to a cloud platform and try it out, well, for free, in some cases for a, for a month or two, and then pay for it if they, they think it's going to be a benefit. Also joining us this afternoon is Shane, a software engineer working in the process monitoring and control team with John. Um, so Shane, what does it allow you to do that would otherwise not be possible? One of the things that we haven't uh, covered in depth is the scalability of things. Uh, Steve did touch on this very briefly earlier, but uh, just to go into a bit more detail, uh, one of the benefits of a platform like Azure is it does allow you to add 
resources as you see fit. You can scale up and scale down. You can add virtual machines if you want. And I think uh, during this uh, project, during the course of this project, there was one instance of this happening where we needed a bit more uh, resource. And I believe one of the engineers from Mimido's side uh, within a few minutes just spun up a new virtual machine uh, just to give us a bit more computing power. And in some instances, uh, at the close of play, on some of the days, you would also shut down some of the virtual machines. Yeah. And, and that is not just about scalability anymore. That's also, that feeds very nicely into uh, the benefit of cost effectiveness. Yeah. So in essence, we can apply that to the MRC in the sense that when we're trying to uh, scope out our projects, we can get a general idea of the costs. And also when we're dealing with SMEs, we can just tell them, hey, this is how much this is going to cost um, when you're going to be doing um, project X or project Y. And just from dealing with SMEs in particular, uh, one of their biggest concerns is return on investment and cost of things. When you're dealing with some of the bigger enterprises, it's not so much of a problem, but particularly with SMEs, we need to know, we need to be able to show them that uh, this, is, this is secure, uh, this is scalable, and it's also cost effective. So would you say that kind of return on investment is the main benefit uh, that it delivers to MRC customers and members? I would say it's one of the biggest ones. And again, because we have uh, a lot of SME partnerships, it's a very uh, good one to focus on. So what's next for the project then? What are you hoping to achieve in the next six to 12 months? We're still exploring what the cloud has to offer. As I mentioned earlier, it's got some tools and technologies in it that we don't have access to otherwise. So I think one thing that we need to do is explore those a little bit more. At the moment, we're collecting quite a limited set of data through the, the service that we have set up with Amido. An opportunity that we've got is what we call our full Monty machine. So this is a machine tool that is perhaps one of the oldest machine tools that they are, the AMRC owns. But I think it's also the most sophisticated machine tool we have because it's recently undergone a refurb and overhaul. And in that process, it had around 100 sensors embedded within the machine tool itself. So all that sensor data combined with the data we can get from the machine tool controller offers us a huge data set for any part that's made on that machine, which we haven't had before. One of the big questions we have around this machine tool is, do we need 100 sensors? My gut feeling is no, we don't. I think the sensors that you do need will very much depend on the process that you're taking out on that machine. Uh, it will depend on the parts that you're making. And it will depend on whether you're looking at the performance of the process of making the part, as opposed to trying to understand the health of the machine. So we've got a lot of data that's been generated by this machine tool. That's a lot of numbers to crunch through. That's too much for one person to be analyzing on their laptop on their own. We don't, I don't think we have laptops that are powerful enough to get through that sort of data quickly here at the AMRC. We, we do have some on-site high-performance computing, uh, but again, you know, access to those is, is slightly limited. So what we can do with the service that we have set up, we can add more resources to it, as Shane talked about, and we can try to find within that data set what are the most important data streams from the machine tool for the process we're looking at. One of the questions we have from a lot of AMRC members is, you've got 100 sensors, that's great, but so what? What does that mean to me? Do I need 100 sensors or do I need 10 sensors? If I want to kit out one of my machine tools with a whole bunch of sensors, what do I need? We don't know the answers to those questions yet. So we need to explore that in the, the work that we've got coming up. And I think some of the technologies that are available through the cloud platform are going to really help us with that. We don't have that 
number crunching capability on site at the moment. As a roundup then, Shane, how do you see data lakes evolving within the AMRC? We have, we have a variety of devices uh, on our shop floor and within the MRC. Uh, one of the, the benefits of having a data lake is the ability to ingest and store data from a variety of sources. Uh, now, some companies have several of the same kind of device on their shop floor. So it may not matter as much in those cases. But then again, when you drill down, when you think about the type of data you get, data comes in all kinds of formats. So you may get data in the form of a string, which is just regular text. You may get some numbers, uh, all kinds of formats. And one of the biggest benefits of a data lake is to be able to take all that in. Uh, and when you have that variety of data formats and then you have uh, a variety of devices as well, like we have on our shop floor. I'd say in the future, we could get great benefit from uh, making more use of data lakes. At the moment, with our current infrastructure, we tend to have things a bit more defined. We know what sort of data we're getting. Uh, we group it in a certain way uh, to put it in, say, a SQL database. But one of the more interesting things we would hope to do in the future is just get data from our devices and just, um, just you know, toss in the data lake, I guess is the best way to put it. I think that's right. We, at the moment, as Shane said, we get data and we know what data we're looking for because we've done a lot of research in the past that says this is the data you need to do this sort of analysis. But you know, we're missing a trick because there's a lot more data out there that we're not capturing at the moment. And that's either because there isn't a way to capture it or because someone at some point has said, it's not important, we don't need that data. Let's not bother capturing it. But here we've got an opportunity to just, let's just capture everything and let's, let's see what we can pull out of it using the tools that are available. For me, with my AMRC hat on, I'd like to see at least every machine tool on our shop floor, and that includes the slightly more manual machines, the ones that aren't CNC controlled, the ones that are you know, very manually controlled by an operator. I'd like to see every machine tool on our shop floor having some data captured from it being fed into a centralized system of some sort and to allow us to do analytics on any of the data from any of those machine tools. That will allow us to do a bit of work around predictive maintenance, looking across our machines, trying to understand which machines are on their way out, which machines need maintenance in the next few weeks, next few months, and so on. But it'll also mean that we're capturing data across all our processes, which we can then make available to our manufacturing engineers. Within the process monitoring and control team and the um, research and technology side of machining that we live in, we're very interested in the slightly more fundamental, what does this data mean? Where can we get it from? How do we capture this data and how can we analyze it? But ultimately what we have to demonstrate is what's the benefit to somebody who's making a part. They don't really care where you've got the data from. They don't care about the sensor types. They want to know what does this mean for my part? And that's where we can link up with our applications teams and show them that we've captured data about their process that they've made. They've made this part. Here's the data set. We noticed an anomaly on this element of it, and we can point them to the exact line in the NC code, and then they can start to explore it from there. So if we have that data capture, and we can allow our manufacturing engineers to explore that data in a relatively easy way. We don't want them to be using the raw data because they won't want to. But if we can do that in an easy way, then yeah, I think we've done our job, we can go home. And just to define a data lake, Historically, we had data warehouses, which were aggregations. So 
data was summarised when it was passed into the warehouse, which meant if you ever wanted to find a different view of the data, you were somewhat stymied because the decisions had already been made. A data lake is different in that now with the cheap storage available, you store all the raw data so that you can access it at any time and change the summaries, change the aggregations to give you different answers to questions that you may not have expected three years ago. So it's a much more forward-looking approach to capturing data. And what's the benefits of having data like that? Again, it's the, the key thing is that you're, you're not going to be constrained by the decisions you made in the past. So if, if you decided to summarise um, a, a set of data by day of the week and you always wanted to know what Monday's data looked like and then you came back a few a f- six months later and thought, actually, Tuesday's really important to us, but we've thrown away all of Tuesday's data because we've only been capturing and aggregating and storing Monday's data. That's the sort of, it's a bit of a, an artificial um, example, but that's the sort of decisions that we, we used to make as an industry a few years ago. With a data lake, you just store all the raw data and then you can have a look at what Tuesday's data looks like and also Wednesday's and then every third Thursday's and every, you know, you can restructure the data to ask, answer the questions that you didn't think to ask in the first instance. That's really good for us, actually because a lot of the work that we've done in the past, we've been very focused on, for example, we want to identify chatter, which is a particular machining phenomenon which you want to avoid. So we've based our sensing technology and our data capture and our analytics all around, well, let's try and capture that chatter occurrence and try and recognize it. So that's what we did. And so that's what will have happened with the data. The data might now have been um, deleted or it might be stored somewhere that we can't find it. Because we thought, well, we've done our job, we've identified chatter, great, done. But what else could we have learned from that data? We don't know. And we probably won't have the opportunity to go back and look at that. Whereas I think with this way of working and working with these cloud technologies so that we are generating these data lakes of potentially vast amounts of sensor data, it opens up that opportunity for us to go back in the future and say, well, when we made that part, actually, we've noticed this defect on the surface. We didn't look for it at the time but what in our data can lead us towards that defect? Yeah, the, the chatter might be a byproduct of something, a different facet or a different dimension of data that was never stored at the point in time when chatter was the focus. And it's, it's about making sure that you don't force yourself into prematurely deciding the direction that you want to query. You just have the data available to query at any time. So just to wrap up then, can I go around and ask each of you what you think the key takeaway is for the audience of today's podcast? Um, Let's start with you, John. I think one of the key takeaways is that data is available on every shop floor that we have in the UK, including here at the AMRC, but a lot of the time that data isn't being captured. And I think the options that you get through um, cloud technologies with that data are massive. That data can tell you a lot about your process and your shop floor and what's going on, be it from the way that the tool interacts with the metal all the way through to what's happening across your whole shop floor. There's a lot that you can learn from that data. It's just capturing that data and being able to analyse it that is the challenge at the moment. Steve, do you want to add to that? Yes, it's data, the importance of data again. I know that there is research being carried out here at the AMRC into non-geometric validation which is using the data available around a machining process to validate that the part is 
machined to the correct size, which is rather than measuring it, rather than looking and checking the length and the breadth of the, the part that's finished, using data as a first-class citizen and inferring from that the quality of the job itself is is really powerful stuff. And would, if that's successful, it will make um, the whole process of manufacturing much quicker. But that's that shows the importance and um, the relative value of data in manufacturing today. And Jen? So uh, our recent SME engagement has revealed that... Uh, a lot of SMEs actually don't have much digital capability um, or, they, or they don't know where to get started and they're afraid of the, uh, the costs that come with it. Uh, one of the biggest takeaways for uh, an SME, for example, would be that uh, cloud technology can be cost effective uh, and affordable so the SME can actually get involved. Uh, they don't have to worry too much about capital expenditure because you just hire resources, essentially, um, like Steve said earlier. So you can actually figure out how much a small project, just getting your foot in the door, can cost you. You can actually tally that up because they have resources that allow you to do that before you actually get started. So for me, one of the biggest takeaways is using cloud technologies, you can actually get involved in that buzzword industry for that everyone talks about. Great, and on the subject of why data is so important to manufacturing, I think that's a great place to end today. So thank you all. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to get new episodes automatically delivered to your phone via your favorite podcasting app. We look forward to your comments and your feedback. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts you'd like to hear, please get in touch.